Hello and welcome to what was supposed to be the very first horse players happy hour of the season. It still is. We can still have happy hour here in this uh, lovely hotel room on Long Island, just miles from beautiful Belmont Park, but we don't have the game. And I knew that there was a danger and I thought about bringing in other tracks and I said to myself, you know what? Based on weather reports, I did have some optimism. We were going to get this Thursday card at Belmont Inn. Didn't end up happening. No big deal. So what this is going to become is a video cast, live stream, slash podcast. We'll pop this one up as a podcast as well. All promoting the horse player happy hour season. The absolute best way to win your way into the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. As well as weekend preview show. And as we love to do on horse player happy hour, we can make this one fun and interactive. Hit us up with questions We'll go over those, and we'll do a bit of a preview of some of this weekend's big stakes racing. We have two great days of racing ahead. Oh, there's something I want to check. I feel like if this Yankee game that's scheduled for right now starts without issue, that is going to be a great sign that we will definitely be racing tomorrow. I have to say I'm very sensitive to the smoke stuff. It was very hard for me being outside the last couple of days, and um, – I had no problems today out there. So I'm pretty sure, as predicted by our man at G1 Handicapping, Marshall Sterling, everything is going in the right direction, and we're going to be okay. But at the same time, I don't want to, like, you know, mush this thing too much. One thing we're going to be doing throughout the season on Horse Player Happy Hour this year is highlighting some of the great betting moments in Breeders' Cup history. Not just Breeders' Cup betting challenge history, though you'll get plenty of that, including two from the home team on today's show but just know and let me know best ways probably through my twitter at lose boldly or through the contact page over at in the money if you've got a great story uh hopefully a big triumph it could be a bad beat um i want to make it so these aren't 40 of the same type of stories about betting at the breeders cup but we're gonna have a lot of fun with this and we're gonna kick things off with a man who you normally see next to me on Horse Player Happy. You're going to see him a few times this year through the magic of pre-tapes. He's on air right now over on the, the Breeders' Cup betting partner, TVG's Airwaves. I think you know where I'm going with this. A little bit later on the show, we're going to have JK in to help answer questions, get some more hits, thoughts as well. You can check out right now. Well, don't do it right now. Watch this show first. But then if you're looking for more, JK, Steve Christ, and, and I put together a nice little rundown of the pick six on Belmont Day in the Money Plus people can check out Drew Coatney and me going over the pick six on Friday, as well as looking ahead to some two-day wagers, of which there are many this weekend, including a win and you're in action. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll get to all of that. But right now, let's go to our first of 40, not in this show, but throughout the season, Breeders' Cup betting moments. New series we're going to be doing this year as part of Horse Player Happy Hour, celebrating in this 40th anniversary year of the Breeders' Cup. We're going to see so many celebrations of horses and jockeys and trainers and owners and great moments on the track. We want to make sure the horse players don't get left behind. We want to do 40 great horse player moments. And the first guest to me for this segment or these segments we're going to be running on here, maybe we'll stitch them all together at the end, is a man who uh, was a no-brainer first choice when we first announced that horse player happy hour was coming back and that Matt Bernier was not going to be with me every week. There was one commenter online who says, if it isn't, if, if it's not horse player happy hour, if Matt Bernier is not, 
that commenter was me. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're filling in the gaps where we can by bringing him to these airwaves. Here he is from his own eponymous podcast, TV's Matt Bernier. Matt, how are things? I'm good, Pete. It pains me that I will not be a sort of regular contributor week in and week out to Horse Player Happy Hour this year, but uh, I'm sure I'll pop in from time to time when when we have a chance to to have a quick chat. And just to explain to people your your full-time gig with uh, the betting partner of Breeders' Cup, uh, FanDuel TV being the thing that you will be doing during these times. It's, uh, you know, very much of a, of, of a, of a, of a terrific thing that's, uh, that's been happening for you. And hopefully we will have lots of chances to talk. I know you've had a lot of great experiences at the Breeders' Cup, but I, I'm, I'm guessing there's one above the others that we'll, we'll talk about as your moment uh, on the show today. Yeah, I mean, for me, you got to go all the way back now, and I mean all the way back to 2014. It feels like a million years ago, but I mean, we're coming up on 10 years. Uh, that was my first time playing in the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge, and it's the best I've done in all the times that I've played. I've probably played in five of them if I had to ballpark it off the top of my head. And I finished sixth that year, and going into the mile, which was the third, second to last race, third to last race that year, I was in the lead. Um, so I was in a, a bit of a different position. I was also in a unique spot because I was playing for charity, playing for TAA and, and TRF and all those sort of aftercare, um, you know, all the, the folks that were, you know, benefiting here with Horse Players Happy Hour. So um, I was in a unique position where when we got to the bitter end, it was a matter of, all right, do you go for broke knowing that you could easily blow a fair chunk of change that's going to go to a good cause or do you kind of reel it in a little bit and you just try to make a, a minor score at the end? I chose to go with the latter. Well, it's really the only move you had in that in that position when you're playing for charity. What were the big moments? What When did you think you were going to be in position to make a run with it? What what, what were the opinions that got you where you were? I, I, want, I want you to put me in your head as they're running down the stretch in a race or two. My biggest opinion of the weekend was that Texas Red was going to win the juvenile. And keep in mind, American Pharaoh scratched. He wasn't going to run. Uh, and I would have liked Texas Red anyway. But I played 1,000 to win on him. I played him in exactas and trifectas on top. Um, oddly enough, it's probably the best piece of handicapping in my entire life in daily racing form when I was still working there. Cold Superfecta. One, two, three, four. It was... <laughs> Texas Red over Carpe Diem over Upstart over the Great War. Oh so for a dollar, I don't even know what it came back, but it was close to 10, something like that. So uh, Texas Red wins. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to walk you through it. I am actually not watching the race out at the rail. I am in Santa Anita's sort of the underbelly, if you will, trying to go from one place to the other. I'm watching on a monitor, and I see the fractions early on. He is 100 out of it. And I'm going, <laughs> they're going fast. I hope it's fast enough. And I know it's Santa Anita, but... And then Kent DeSormo gives just this like virtuoso ride, just an unbelievable. He splits horses on the far turn. I'm saying, geez, just don't get stopped, please. I want this horse to keep rolling. He weaves through, tips out into the clear, and he goes off and wins at 13 to 1. So we cash the win bet, cash the exact, cash the trifecta. That at least gave me something to play with. I was losing my mind, by the way, because again, that was the one horse I was sort of standing on. But then to take it a step further in the Breeders' Cup sprint, I ended up playing three different horses to win. I bet a thousand to win on each one of them. Secret Circle, I believe, was the heavy favorite in there. And one of the three horses I bet because I thought they were overlays was Work All Week, who won, and I believe he was 19 to one, somewhere thereabouts. So I had a thousand to win on him. Next thing I know, I've got just under 40 grand. And I look at the leaderboard when it refreshes and I'm in first. And I'm starting to be like, oh my God, now what? 
you know, because I, I don't want to say I didn't anticipate being in that position, but again, the charity aspect of it, it's like, well, I mean, I can't possibly bet $40,000 and blow it all, you know, then what? I'm going to look like a real heel. Uh, I guess the flip side is I could look like Superman if I end up winning the whole damn thing. So I was in a bit of a precarious position. I chose to kind of play it a little bit on the safe side. Um, I think I lost like 5,000 from then on all in all with prize money. We ended up somewhere around 75,000 that was donated to thoroughbred aftercare, but um, it was my first BCBC and I was still kind of a fresh face coming out of the horse players reality show. And for me personally, I, I felt a little bit of sort of vindication that no, I'm not just here because I caught lightning in a bottle, which I did. And I, I've said that, you know, a million times, but I kind of felt like I proved my chops a little bit. And then on top of that, two weeks later, I went out and won the Aqueduct Contest. So I, I really felt like that sort of two-week stretch, for me anyway, regardless of other people's opinions, some people are going to love you no matter what. They're going to hate you no matter what. Um, I didn't need to prove anything else to myself. I knew I belonged. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yes, I mean, to put a fine point on it, you know, you weren't just the broke kid from horse players at that point. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, I kind of sort of uh, broke through that glass ceiling at that point, I feel like. And you mentioned about, you know, oh, you could be Superman. You were Superman. What an unbelievable uh, donation to be able to make. That was great stuff. I enjoyed working with you then. I'm thrilled that it's kind of crazy that it's almost 10 years. What was that first seminar we did? I think it was in 14, maybe for the Freakness at Belmont. Yeah. Oh my You and goodness. I both had social inclusion to beat California Chrome. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Not one of our, not one of our better opinions. Not one of our better opinions. No, that's all right. <laughs> we'll have to do something special at the Preakness next year. Matt, really appreciate you coming on here today. We'll have you back soon. And I'm, you know, you we sign up for these things sometimes. The forty betting moments. Will there be enough to sustain it after talking to you today? I'm convinced this is going to be a rocking series. We'll have another one later in the show, and we'll keep them going all season long on Horse Player Happy Hour. That was such fun getting to catch up with Matt a little bit. Again, we'll bring him back from time to time, view the miracle of uh, pre-taping. But now, through the miracle of live streaming, we're going to bring in a man you're going to be seeing a lot on these airwaves. You've seen him, you know, I think he was accused of being an Uber driver one one show last year when he was uh, when he was in the front seat of a car while doing this. He's he's here now. We have, we have dueling hotel rooms, apparently. I'm speaking, of course, of Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, J.K.? Uh, I, I I raise you a little bit on, on my your hotel room is nice, but your does your hotel room have one of these? Oh, nice! Do you have a rigatoni? Oh, rigatoni, looking awesome. Is he happy? Is he adju adjusting well to the changes in your in in your guys's life? I, I would assume he's very excited. Yeah, he's he does. He's just glad we're back from Italy. I half expected him to, you know. <laughs> run down the aisle as the uh, as the ring bearer over there over he was there he was gonna be the paperwork was a little too much <laughs> so we, so we, we kept him great stuff. Uh, you know what I'm we actually... should do for horse player happy hour what we should do is take i should take this uh the computer downstairs to this hotel where mike smith and johnny velasquez and gary stevens and rudolph per are all hanging out, chatting at the bar. It'd probably be a little bit more oh interesting goodness. than us two, but 
feel free uh, to feel free to switch to your cell phone and go down there. <laughs> just tell them they're live, so we don't get anybody in any uh, undue <laughs> amount of, of trouble. So, yeah. so I'm guessing you're at the you're at the Garden City Hotel, where you know we're with a little more budget conscious here over at the, the Homewood. I'm staying oh. in the Bumford, but you know with, oh, with no trust reason. Me. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is brought to you by Naira. So I I, uh, <laughs> I I it wasn't a choice. That's very funny, but we're in good shape with uh, the the cold crews over here. I'm I'm coming back and forth from Brooklyn, but figured I'd come out with racing being canceled today. Um, just didn't I didn't figure it was worth going over to Belmont to do the show. So bothered a uh, Marshall, and and here I am. You see the somewhere strategically placed in the background. Yeah, you can see it there. The ten strike hat. We got to give a little bit of a props to our. Uh, to, to our, our sponsor. Speaking of which, you dropped a new JK plus one today. Give people a little bit of a lowdown about what that's all about. Yeah. I look, I, 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 um, I wanted to have Tony Alivato for a while anyways, just because, you know, Tony's obviously been so instrumental in like my being on the Fox show. And, and um, I, I, I think I maybe kind of talked about it for a second on the outro, but for people that don't know, like I was, I came to Saratoga one day, I was hanging out with Pete. I was staying at Pete's uh, in in the back house at Pete's and uh, I, I, you know, I hit in the outdoor shower, the whole thing um, sneaking in through uh, the, the, the shake shack back door and, and then hanging out at the paddock bar. And I got to do that by the way. They love that over there. Yeah. They love that. I got a DM from Jonathan Fowler saying Tony Alivato wanted to meet me. I, 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 did, I love Tony. I didn't know who Tony was. I Googled Tony Alvarado <laughs> and Pete was with me. I said, Pete, this, I, he's like, I, I said, Pete, this guy might be kind of important. And uh, I went to Tony's office and he said, Hey, we're doing all these, you know, we're doing a hundred hours on Fox, you know, next summer. And um, you know, our 200 hours on Fox or whatever. And, and, you know, we want to see if you'd be interested in being on TV. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. That'd be awesome. And he's like, are you going to be here next weekend? And I was like, yes, which was a complete lie. I wasn't going to be there. <laughs> but I, I flew home, flew back, um, and then uh, when Diversify won the Whitney that day, I was on for like 30 minutes early in the day as kind of like my test run. And then uh, right after the summer was over, he flew to Austin, and uh, he was meeting with, with Mattress Mac, not just me, but then he also met with me, and he said, hey, do you want to be on the show? And I said, yeah. So I was excited to have Tony on just to talk about how he built this thing because it really was his vision. Uh, it was his vision to go exclusive and not be on TVG. Um, and, and he got, and he got ridiculed for that. And, and there was a reason why Fox didn't want to pay for content that was going to be somewhere else. And um, that's another important part about the Fox deal is they, they, they pay us for our content, you know, and, 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 and that's a, a really great thing for, for racing. And so I want to have Tony on to talk about how all of that started um, Tony's been instrumental in, in, in the CAW changes that Naira has, keeping them out of the late pick five, late pick six, changing the, there's a cutoff on the wind pool and they're boycotting. The CAWs are boycotting Naira's wind pool. They're not playing it because Naira said you got to be in with two minutes to go and they're not doing it. So, um, I just wanted to kind of catch up with him. So it was, it was fun. It was fun to do. Great. No, I'm looking forward to checking it out when we finally get a minute during this, uh, Belmont week. And it's uh, it's it's exciting stuff. Um, sorry, I'm in a I'm in a comment war here, J.K. I sound a little bit distracted, but I won't bother you with that. I'm sure producer AJ is on it. Um, so here's the sort of blueprint for today's show. We've got you for a little under 
half an hour here. I want to talk about the win and your in races we're going to be seeing on Saturday. That's the Jiper, which is a win and your in action for the Turf Sprint, the Ogden Phipps for the Longines Distaff, and the Hillendale uh, Metropolitan for favorite race name of all time, the big-ass fans, Dirt Mile. But before we get to that, I want to talk about what we're usually doing here. And what we're usually doing here is having contests. And you and I, you know, we've been involved in trying to put on contests for a number of years now. And we pride ourselves on trying to come up with formats that really have the best interest of the players in mind. And I feel like with Trip I can't speak all of a sudden. My mouth words are failing me. And when it comes to horse player happy hour, I feel like we've come up with something that's great for horse players. And it's also great for, um, for, for horses in terms of the fact that we have our aftercare charities that we play for, the TAA and the TRF. But maybe you can help me. And I know you haven't been here in, in a minute, so let me know if I need to pick up the ball from you at any point. But just a little bit what these contests are and how people can get involved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, I think the you're right, I haven't been on in a while, but I think that the, it all stays the same where, you know, I'm a huge fan of the BCBC. I think it's the most important contest in racing. And I thought that I thought that for a long time. It's not a recent thought. Uh, it, it's it's highlighted by 14 of the best races that you could ever find on a, on a planet, especially happening over a two-day period. It's big money. It's an opportunity for life-changing scores. Um, and it's, it's the most special contest that we have. And so the idea with this is to – to, to, to create a series of these events that people can participate in, that there is a charity aspect to as well, that they can accumulate points throughout these events and win free, a free seat to the BCBC, that $10,000 buy and into the BCBC by participating and by earning points and, and, and kind of being the, the tour champion, as it were, for this horse player happy hour tour. We've crowned two of them so far, Greg Kingma last year, David Browning the year before that. But there's so much to this. And one of the things we wanted to do was come up with a format that did not require you to have a giant amount in your bank account to compete. And that's where we came up with the idea of a $20 contest where the house cut, our partners over at horseplayers.com, they do not take a cut on this. That cut goes directly to our aftercare charities split down the middle. There are going to be, I have to do some quick thinking here. I think there's going to be 16 games in our regular season. So the way it's going to work is the top two finishers from every week will advance to what we're calling the playoffs, which is going to be an 80 runner tournament. They are, the winner of that tournament also gets a BCBC seat as well as the overall tour winner. We'll have to check the rules. I should have done that before. I can't remember if it's six or seven scores from the year that will count for the person who wins the overall tour. But what I really like about this, Jonathan, is the tour prize money, and it's $20,000 worth of value added to the pot. That's not just for the hard, it's great. I mean, the hardcores have an advantage, obviously, getting it. We want people to play every week. And those playoffs, other than the 32 spots, the other uh, the, the, the other uh, 48 are filled up with people from the tour. But you can play one week and have a chance to participate in that prize pool by qualifying for the tournament at the end of the year. So it's not the kind of thing where 
if you discover this or you, a friend of yours, you decide to get involved 10 weeks from now, they're still benefiting from the, from the added value. And that's one of the things that, that, that I'm very proud of about this. The games will take place on Thursday. There'll be a variety of different games. The live stream will always be from 4 to 5 Eastern. We saw a big pickup in numbers when we kept the live stream portion at the same time. So that's going to be 4 to 5 every week on Thursday. And there'll be a lot of New York cards. Sometimes we're going to mirror the horseplayers.com lineup where you can go anyway. And oh, by the way, the $20 that you're playing to get into this contest it also functions as a regular horse players feeder. So that means that the top finishers in these Thursday games will advance to Saturday and have a chance to qualify for the Breeders' Cup betting challenge, what you might call the old-fashioned way. So there's just benefit upon benefit to horse players to this. It raises money for charity. We want everybody to be involved. So please, this is the kind of thing, yeah, in theory, your chances are better the fewer people who play. No, we're horse players. We're a community. We're not going to be selfish like that. We are very happy to um, tell our friends, and we want you to tell your friends. Be an ambassador for this great cause, because not only does that help our charities, if you like our stuff, it helps us, but more importantly, it shows an organization, industry leaders like Breeders' Cup, that horse players will vote with their money and spend money where they're getting a good deal and where other good things are happening. So that is horse players happy hour in a nutshell. And with that, JK, I think we, we can, we can pivot. Maybe we'll look through a couple of the comments and then we'll talk about uh, some of these win and you're in races. We have a nice, uh, good luck message from Steve. We have a bunch of comments. I won't post them all. Bunch of congratulations to you and uh, Jovanina on the marriage comments and, also, folks, wishing you good luck on the Fox show this weekend. Actually, let me ask you about the Fox show uh, quickly. What's the what's the plan as far as uh, what's the plan as far as the, the, the coverage goes? Well, we talked about it a little bit the other day, Pete. It's, it's kind of going to be a dual broadcast um, from what I understand. There's going to be the FS1 show, which is going to be kind of the, the, the normal characters, the Andes, the the uh, the Acacias, the. Um, I don't know if I'm not hundred percent sure about Maggie and Tom cause they're on the, that's the other part of the equation, uh, but all the rest of us basically are on the FS one show all day on Saturday, but there also will be the Fox broadcast as well with Kurt Minifee who's hosting Carissa Thompson, uh, Chris Felica, um, Maggie and Tom Amos will be on that show. Tom will be on the desk with Mike Smith. Um, which is really exciting that, that Mike's a part of the, the kind of Fox Naira team now. And, and so they'll be there. I do have, as of right now, I've got one hit on the Big Fox show with Chris Felica. So nice. uh, we actually met a little bit about it today. I think I'm going to come on right before the Met Mile, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to come on and I'm going to talk with Chris and Carissa about, you know, what I'm thinking there. And then and then the rest of the time I'll be on the FS1 show. And then, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. We're, we're, we're excited about it. I mean, it's – it took a full proper, you know, situation back there. You know, one of the things I will say is that people who watch our show, the, the Saratoga Live, America's uh, Day at the Races, you know, and I'm not trying to – this is a hard comment to make, but, like, when you look at the NBC broadcast, they have a lot of power behind them, Men, you know, manpower as well as money that they can do a lot of stuff that we just can't really do we work with such a limited crew and to do the shows that we do, we're all extremely proud of them, but it's fun this week. We have 
some real power behind us this yeah. weekend. So the broadcast should be a ton of fun. I'm really excited to see the Secretariat thing they put together. Uh, it's almost like a live reenactment. It looks like, yep. I, I, I have a, I got a Secretariat shirt to wear on air on uh, on on Saturday, I think. So nice. Um, so yeah. So I'll I'll be I'll be on. I'm only on for an hour tomorrow, which means I get to hang out at the track, which makes me very excited. And then, uh, and then I'm on basically all day Saturday. And um, so it'll be fun. That's great. We'll look for you in the garden terrace. Excited to see what you guys do with the coverage. As you mentioned, NBC sets the bar very, very high and excited to see you guys uh, take your jump up at it. Going to be going to be a ton of fun and really looking forward to that. I'll be recording and, and rewatching that. Cause of course we'll be, we'll be out there uh, this year fully situated in the garden terrace for both days instead of my usual run back and forth to the grandstand situation that I do. So we'll get to hang tomorrow for sure with the crew, which will be a lot of fun. Good news. The Yankee game has started. I'm thinking this is a great sign of clear air and gives us a lot of runway for everything to get back to normal tomorrow. So very, very excited about that. We had a question here and I, that I don't fully understand. Someone, and, and AJ, don't pop this one in the screen, but just the gist of the question was, are there any concerns about either Chad Brown or Todd Pletcher not being in top form at the moment? I mean, the Pletcher barn has been unlucky, I think, in terms of win percentage. I hadn't even noticed Chad being cold. I think he's, isn't he winning his usual, what's he winning? 26% instead of 30. Have you noticed anything? Is there any, anything to give you uh concern there? I, I feel like it's just net noise yeah. and I'm going to bend their horses. Like I'm going to bend their horses. Yeah. I, I, I think that if you start doing that, you're playing with fire. And the best way I can explain it is let's say that you're, let's say, let's say you're playing the golden state warriors, right? And you're playing the warriors and Steph misses his first four three pointers. You start. You stop guarding him. Then stop guarding. <laughs> Good him. luck. <laughs> it, it's 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 ridiculous. It's it's a ridiculous notion to 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 look at two guys that deliver at a high level all the time and start to say because they've lost a couple of races, only winning at twelve percent last week, but they're averaging thirty percent basically their entire careers. Just relax and play the horses as you see them. Don't try to get cute with Chad and Todd or Cold. I, I I just think you're I think you're I think you're you're leaving Steph wide open. <laughs> you're yeah I I get what you're saying. There is one trainer run of form that is worth mentioning, and you know what we can get to it. Maybe we'll, I'll save this one. I want to remember this when we get to the Manhattan. Actually, the Manhattan is not winning your end, so I'm going to give it now. Charlie Appleby. I'm not too worried about the horses who've run in North America as what that might be pointing in terms of form for the yard. I, I feel like those are pretty much of an anomaly and I'm not worried. But I mean, I was speaking to Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, who pointed out that he has been very cold over there. Strike rate, return on investment, all stuff well below his normal percentages. So I have to say if his horse in the gold cup, his horse in the gold cup, who that, that looks like a six to five shot on paper, if that horse doesn't win impressively, especially since I don't love either of the horses in the metropolitan anyway, I may play confidently against them. So I know what you're saying. I may be leaving Curry open metaphorically on this one, JK, but I think that's the kind of situation. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get cute and try that, but I want like a little more information. Yeah, but Charlie's not quite, He's not quite – I mean, he's not quite Curry over here. You know what I mean? Like Chad and Todd and Bob and, and, and Brad and th that's Curry over here. I mean, 
Charlie, Charlie, <clears throat> you know, Charlie doesn't bring his all of his A game over here. He brings kind of his. I mean, modern games is his A game. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't always. You know, some of the other ones are kind of his B game. And you know, you can. It's I don't. I, I think that's different. Tossing him because he's cold is different than tossing Chad and Todd. Their body, their their bodies of work are, are more significant. I think in in the long term, you know, at Belmont and here in North America. I think that makes sense. Makes me feel a little bit uh, less silly about the decision. And again, it's all going to depend. That horse in the Gold Cup can. I mean, if that horse, that horse on paper is just supposed to run great. So that that's the extra piece of info I'd want there. Let's talk a little win in your ends. And and so I'll tell people who are watching, especially since we did talk about these races on our show already with Steve Chris. We'd love to hear specific questions about these races as we talk about them. I probably won't go back afterwards. Let's start with the Jiper. Goes as race number nine, 419 Eastern. Win and you're in action for the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pop your questions in the chat. JK, give us your thoughts on this one. Who's going to punch their ticket for the Breeders' Cup Sprint? Is it going to be last year's winner? Turf Sprint, I should say. Yeah, you know, the tricky part is like I'm, I am I, – I hate closers and turf sprints. We've I've been talking about it for years. You've heard me say it for years. Hate closes in turf sprint, but I I think that that a majority of my day is going to be built around big invasion. Um, I'm a huge fan of Caravel. I've said it before. No one singled Caravel more than I have. There's not a human on earth that has singled her more than I have. I I love her, but and and, and shout out to to our boys in Maroon uh, Qatar Racing. I just don't think that the six with that outside draw versus other speed horses and very good closers going six is going to kind of be what's best for her. Um, Casa Creed's always dangerous, but he's going to be half the price. I think of big invasion because people love Casa Creed. He's won this race prior. Um, he always shows up and runs. It looks to be some pace in here. So they're going to bet him, but I think big invasion off of that trip last time you look two back going five furlongs at Goldstream. That's entirely too short for that horse. And then right after that, he comes back and he just gets just this wild trip um, on on Derby Day. I I, I think that Big Invasion is going to be extremely, extremely tough to beat. We're reading from the same hymn book on this one, JK, as we talked about on the show the other day. And Big Invasion, this is a horse who it's not some wild notion of this horse being a Breeders' Cup sprint horse. This was a turf sprint horse. This was a horse we were talking about for the Breeders' Cup turf sprint back in his three-year-old season even. So there's there's a lot going on here. I definitely, in terms of wagering, I'm going to have some lines of Caravel, some lines of Casa Creed. But I think the value of the race is, in fact, big invasion. If folks want to hit us up with any questions about a specific horse in here, I'll filibuster for 12 seconds or so before we pivot to the next race. Um, and obviously, there's just going to be a ton of coverage, both free on InTheMoneyPodcast.com and then over on the paywalled side too, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. And we will pivot. We'll go ahead. We'll move on to the next of these win and you're in races. The next win and you're in race is the Hillendale Metropolitan Mile win and you're in action for the big ass fans. Dirt Mile, JK, we'll bring you back in to get your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is one of those races that, you know, we talked about, it. you know, Cody's wish uh, on on Derby Day was kind of in the same position as like, what do you want to do with this horse that seems like the most likely winner? 
do you want a single and, and lean or do you want to try to get cute and beat? Because, you know, obviously if you can beat Cody's wish, you have an opportunity to score out here. You know, Cody's wish didn't draw particularly well on the inside. And I was actually talking about this race earlier. It reminds me a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit of like flight line, right? Like flight line drew the inside and he was a heavy favorite, broke a step slow, kind of got shuffled a little bit. But the difference is, is that with Cody, if he breaks slow from the inside, he's going to circle wide anyways. If you look at his last six wins, all of them are coming down the middle of the track. Yep. So from the inside, I think he'll just kind of fall out of there. Dr. Scheibel should make sure that there's some pace in front of him. They're, you know, they're going to run in this race a little bit, especially with some horses that, you know, are, are trying to steal the race. And I, I think he's going to be extremely hard to beat. I, I, I'm going to build a majority of what I do around Cody's wish winning. And I'll spend a little bit on Dr. Scheibel getting loose, Zandon turning into what we thought he always could be, and charge it running back to that unbelievable performance that he had at Belmont in the in the past. So I'll, I'll use Cody's wish very, very aggressively, but I will use those other threes as kind of the uh, saver types. Maybe a little yeah. bit elevated from saver types, but, you know, in that, in that general arena. What percentage of your money do you see going through Cody's wish? I'm not a percentage guy. I'm a field guy, kind of. You know, I mean, that's a Sean Borman question. He 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 enters a lot of his stuff in from a percentage standpoint. I just see myself, um, I, you know, I see myself running. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm throwing out numbers. Eighty five percent of my money through through Cody's Wish. Okay. That's all you really need. If Cody's Wish gets beat, you're you know you're. This isn't an easy sequence, right? So I think a lot of people will, a lot of people will be looking for singles, and this is the one that jumps off the page at you. Um, and I think people will, will take it. And, and so, you know, I, I think that he is the most likely single. James McKinney asks about Zandon as a potential alternative. I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, this is a horse we always thought, we talked about this horse a lot last year, as maybe one to be seen to his best effect around one turn going a mile. And I just, I'm not going to hold that cigar mile against him whatsoever on the sloppy track getting no setup. If they go too fast, and, and, you know, I know you have the right counterpoint here, and I'll leave it for you, JK. But I do feel like he's a horse, a very likely exact a partner, and maybe one, if everything goes his way, could win. I know you don't see him as as much of a threat to, to Zandon. Excuse no, me. No, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think that this race to me is just like if, if Cody's wish, if Cody's wish gets a good trip, then it'd be a good trip. If Cody's wish doesn't have a bad trip, I think he wins. Now, we've seen that in racing a lot. Horses can get bad trips, right? Um, you know, the one horse that I didn't mention that I do want to talk about, and, and I'm seeing in the comments a little bit too, is like the Repo Rocks thing. And um, look, Repo Rocks ran fast numbers before he got to Jamie Ness. So, you know, the horse has always had some talent. But he started kind of running much faster numbers when he got to Jamie Ness. Now, his race that he ran in Toboggan, if he runs that race, Cody's Wish needs a perfect trip to beat him. But he's had three races since then that weren't as fast as that race. So you have to wonder, you know, you know, he obviously had two bad trips. Um, he had a rider change, and he won last time, and he kind of ran a, a better number, but not that number he ran four back. He's interesting. I think he he could win this race, but I I just feel like, you know, that one number was a little bit of an anomaly. 
and you'd be okay. You, you'll leave them off completely and and just live. No, with it. I mean, look, I mean, it all it all depends, right? After scratches and stuff, and when you know when you start kind of going through what you want to do, you have an idea of kind of what you want to spend and what your ticket looks like based on your opinions. But when you get some scratches sometimes, oh, that horse that I was going to use as an A horse in another race gets scratched. Suddenly adding this other horse as a B horse is not nearly as impactful to your to your overall investment. Then you can kind of add them. But if they all stay in, it, I think tickets will get too expensive if I keep adding all these Bs. And I don't necessarily need this horse versus some of the other ones. The term I've heard in betting construction that I like for a horse like this is leaving them open. In other words, they're not really an A, they're not really a B. You're not giving them a letter grade, but you're not putting that X through by any means. And depending on how tickets shake out, when you look at the sequence holistically, you could see winding up on, on tickets, but certainly not one that you're going to be looking to key there. Last question about this race. We talked about how it's a win in your in race for the, for the dirt mile. What do you think the chances are, if Cody's wish is impressive here, that he follows the same footsteps as last year's Met Mile winner, Flightline has a summer campaign and ends up in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. Can you see it if you squint? Uh, I mean, I'm, I feel very confident that if Cody's Wish wins this race, that his next race will be in the Whitney. Um, you know, if, if you're Godolphin uh, slash Darley, you know, you, you've already won the forego. You've already won the you've, – you've proven the one-turn test. You, you won a Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile around two turns. You've won the Met Mile if he wins. You've won two Grade Ones on it's going seven furlongs. Like the, the 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 question that now needs to be answered is: Can you go nine furlongs in a Grade One at Saratoga in the Whitney? And if Cody's Wish wins that race, now he is a very 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 attractive stallion. Winning Grade Ones at seven, eight, and nine, like I mean that's you know and. I, and he's run well going the line. territory at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, 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 you know, he's and he's well bred. You know, he's a half to endorsed who uh, is was an outstanding horse. He's by Curlin. Like I'm sure, you know, Godolphin would would love to get that nine furlong Grade One under his belt. Let's talk about the next win in your in race. You have some good macro level questions as well that we're going to try to get to if we have time, but. We definitely uh, don't want to give uh, short shrift to the other win in your end that we're going to talk about. And that is the Ogden Phipps, which goes a little bit uh, earlier on the card. This one's race number seven. And uh, it, it's a really cool race. You got some nice looking fillies and mares in here going the mile on a 16th on the dirt. Is it as simple as a match race, JK, between Secret Oath and Clarier? No, I don't think it's that simple. I mean, look, I, I, I said it last night on the podcast and I didn't really even mean to say it, but I thought about it again today and I believe it. If Clarier is in the same race as, as secret oath, I don't need secret. Oath. You know what I mean? Like I, I just don't, she to me is not it, 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 whatever scenario it is. The race unfolds for her to win. It's the same scenario. Clarier needs and Clarier is better. Um, and, and so I don't think it's a match race between those two. I think search results is dangerous. You know, search results likes Belmont park, um, arguably one of the best races, two of her best races in her life. She ever ran. She didn't win. Right. The Kentucky Oaks where she got nailed by Malathot. And then also the, uh, the, the Ogden Phipps last year where she was third were Clarier and, and Malathot beat her. 
where, and I told this last night and I'll tell it again, you know, I, I had, I had talked to Chad about that race prior and his whole plan with search results was to not hooker until the eighth pole. Like, like with, with, with Latruska, just stay behind Latruska. She'll come back to you. Just don't hook her until the eighth pole. Cause if you hook her early, she'll fight you and she'll make you work for it. And then you'll set it up for someone else. And I joked that I think Irad thought he said the three eighths pole. Cause Irad hooked the horse. I mean, mid turn, but she ran extremely well that day to run third. Um, and so I, I think that she could run a, a huge race um, at Belmont. I think she likes it at Belmont. I think she could get loose in this race. And then, you know, we talk about it. We're, it's close. It's near and dear to our heart, but past the champagne owned by black type thoroughbreds and, and, and our friend Jake Ballas, like, I, I, you know, speaking of Malathot, when she ran in the Ashland as a, as a three-year-old, I mean, she lost by a nose to a, a horse that went on to be a champion. And I, and then she just kind of fell off. She they couldn't really find her that performance again, but last time they found it. And I don't know if it's the rider change. I don't know if it's Fergal Lynch and the power of pipes that's helped kind of figure her out a little bit, but she, she, she ran a big number last time. And I think that maybe she could jump up again. She's got to jump forward again. She can't win like what she's been doing, but maybe she's going in that direction where she could find another, uh, another jump forward. Pipes, AKA jockey agent to the stars, Chris Pipito has been invited on these airwaves many times. He doesn't want to come on anymore. I don't know what the problem is. He was our, our Travers guest for many years and always good for a laugh and a great opinion. I think he might've given out the whole pick six one year. Got to get him back one of these days. I would be a host fail. I, I host failed last night. I think when I didn't, question you about i get your clarier secret oath opinion but i think the natural follow-up to avoid the host fail is well then what happened in the azari yeah i mean i think that the azari was 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 it's a mile and a 16th i'm not looking at it anymore right mile and a 16th uh yes yeah so it's a mile and a 16th two turns i think a mile and a 16th one turn is a significantly more testing situation because they're running on the backside that is from the mouth of of, of Gary Stevens, uh, Richie Migliori, and Mike Smith, who I've talked to about that uh, a ton about that, uh, which one is more taxing from a stamina standpoint. And it is that flat one turn, one turn situation because they're running um, on the backside. So I, I, I think that this plays more to Clarier's game, those big swooping turns. I just, and I just secret oath is just too finicky. She's, moving early she's not she's back she's moving she's forward she's not she's moving early i just you know i just i just think that clarier kind of has her number when the circumstances are 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 are, you know it's not a prep race it's not a setup it's not you know we've got one minute left jk before i cut you the show will continue for a bit longer but i did want to ask you this one last question Give me on this Belmont Stakes Day card. Doesn't just have to be the races we talked about. Who you consider the most vulnerable favorite and the most likely winner? Um, vulnerable favorite, I guess. I mean, I mean, it hurts. It hurts my JK plus one heart to say, but I mean, I'm assuming that Caravelle's a favorite. Big time. Yeah, I mean, I just think that like this is. I'm not saying she can't win. I'm just saying that like, you know, six against these horses with real pace, it's going to be her biggest test that she's had in a long time. And as the favorite, you got to consider that to be a little bit vulnerable. 
Man, it doesn't mean you won't be clapping her back to the winner's circle if she uh, kicks in. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. And then I guess the second most vulnerable favorite. Well, the other question be... was your, your the other question was the other direction. Most likely winner. Oh, most likely winner. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you got to go Cody's wish, you know, most likely winner. Great stuff. JK, we're going to see you on TV. It was great having you. Can't wait. We'll kick this thing off proper with a game next week. Uh, till tomorrow, mi amigo. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Love you. Bye. Bye. Con Dios and all that. All right. Great stuff. Always a pleasure to have uh, JK in the mix. We'll hang out for a few more minutes. I can answer some more questions. I'll do this one from uh, Rob straight away asking about Joel Rosario being on a bit of a downswing. How much does that play into taking his rides on top? Um, I am factoring it in when it comes to race design. I still feel like Joel, when he's going to be on the best closer in a race full of speed, I'm not downgrading him. He does that so well. When he's going to be on a lone speed horse, I'm not downgrading him. He does that so well. When it's sort of a neither fish nor fowl, neither here nor there, it's not that I'd chuck him, but it's the kind of thing where maybe if I was going to key him, now I'd just use him. If I was going to just use them, maybe now it would be one of those leave them open type horses. And if it was one of those leave them open type horses, eh, maybe I would chuck. But, you know, not not anything crazy. But he, he's been riding noticeably below par. He could turn it around in a hurry. We've seen this movie before. So I wouldn't go nuts. And, Rob, let me know if there was a specific horse you were talking about. And maybe I can answer a little bit more specifically. So yeah, load up a few questions. We'll I'll hang here till the uh, till the top of the hour, right till five. We've got about thirteen minutes left, and we've got about seven or eight minutes of another pre-tape with our second Breeders' Cup betting memory. Here is my chat a little bit earlier today with reigning Breeders' Cup betting challenge champion and the business manager here at In the Money Media, Drew Cotney. In our second segment, celebrating betters and horse playing in the history of the Breeders' Cup, we bring in a man whose victory on Breeders' Cup Day is uh, fresh in mind because it was the very last BCBC that we had last year at Keeneland. I swear, not all of these stories are going to be related to the BCBC, but it made sense, I thought, for me to grab the low-hanging fruit from the In the Money Media family starting off. We heard from Matt Bernier a little bit earlier. Now we'll hear from Drew Cotney. Drew, how are things? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, the eve before flying out to Santa Anita. I'm kind of calling this my dry run for the Breeders' Cup this year. Going to go get the lay of the land, hang out in the Eddie Logan suite. And uh, Frank Scatoni and Tom Quigley are graciously hosting me. So uh, couldn't be more excited about getting out there and seeing how the Breeders' Cup's going to shake out for next year. It is a great place to play um, under any circumstances, I think, especially for a BCBC with just all the experience they have, just like Keeneland. And yeah, folks thinking about the BCBC, it is certainly a fantastic venue for it. Let's talk about the BCBC in general. Is being a BCBC champion something you had uh, thought about as a horse player for a long time? Where on your list of uh, bucket list horse playing goals was this achievement that you managed last year? Yeah, for anyone who has seen the reaction video of... Uh of me kind of falling to my knees a little bit. I think it just legitimizes yourself as a horse player, not only the ability to handicap, but also play with a large bankroll and play efficiently and smartly. Um, so for me, it was kind of the, the Mecca at the moment. Um, it did, it didn't help the waterworks that the Cody's wish story was what started me off on this journey. Um, and, and then just moving on from there. So 
it was an emotional roller coaster of uh, of of uh, like probably three hours um, as I was all in on probably I think six races in a row. Um, to get to where it was. But I think a lot of people don't know when we were playing, I don't know where you want this conversation to go, but I was all in on everything. Like if Jackie's warrior wins, the same result comes out the same way. Um, so there was a lot of uh, outs in, in my in my way. Um, unfortunately, when you go review the plays, uh, the minimum $500 on the machines, um, it kind of masks a little bit of exactly what the plays were because they're not summarized and they're spread out across 12, 15, 20 pages of, of wagers. So uh, apologies to that, but the machine limitations at play. Let folks who are interested, though, do that. It's just a great thing to do anyway now that these plays are available. Do you know where they are online? Surely they can be found, breederscup.com slash BCBC, if you poke around. Anybody wanting to dive deeper, if it's not intuitive over there, reach out to me at Looms Boldly. I'll point you in the right direction because it's certainly – not just fun, but informative to see how the people who do well in the BCBC plot their course. But really the point here, Drew, is to just, uh, you know, share some memories and relive some of the experience of a great uh, Breeders' Cup betting triumph. And obviously you yours was quite near the top of the list. With a little bit of distance now, when you look back at this win, what's the, what's the enduring memory to you, if you could only pick one? The enduring memory... Um... I, I, you know, it's one of those trips that you walk away from with your heart is full, if that makes sense, um, that, that everyone around me was supporting, um, from the people that had taught me strategy to Matt Miller, Brad Anderson, yourself, JK, everyone, um, and making sure to like capture that moment in my head, especially as, uh, I was punching in for, I think it took me about 15 minutes to punch in the flight line bet for a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was like 97 and change. That's but, what it was, right? 97 something to win on one horse. And I just, I still think about what must've been going through your head as you were there at that machine punching. And again, as you pointed out before, you had to do it 500 at a time. <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah. And, and I, I remember calling JK ahead of time and just saying, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. You know, do you support this decision? Is this like from a contest point of view? I know you're knocked out. Like, it's like, brother, just call your dad, man. Like, you know, call the people that matter the most to you because you're in a, a once in a lifetime position. And I mean, that just kind of got the waterworks going um, <laughs> because I just, you know, called my dad and he's actually going with me to Santa Anita this weekend for the first time. So I get to entertain him out there. But um, literally punching those tickets was a bit, um, maybe cathartic is the right word of just the moment sinking in of what's about to happen. The horse of a lifetime, I'm betting a wager of my lifetime to claim my stake as one of the best ho horse players, um, within the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. And, uh, I wish I could tell you, uh, I was, I was misty eyed while doing it. I mean, I've never had emotion take over while I'm placing a wager, but I knew the gravity of the situation. And I'll always remember a lady that I, I had a special machine that I like to use. And so it was off to the corner and the lady, there was a, someone working at Keeneland and she was sitting, sitting right behind me and she kind of notices what's going on. And she's like, are you, are, are you okay? Like, <laughs> what's, what's ha happening? And I think there's some pictures floating around of like me with like, they're like, <laughs> and, and, you know, I kind of told He's her the covered. Whole Punching tickets. <laughs> yeah, she like told her the story, and 
Um, all the staff at Keeneland were great. And I remember when I collapsed after the win as well, uh, another, we had been hanging out with a gentleman named Keith who was letting us stand in this spot that was kind of our lucky spot for Kyle Roscoe and myself. And um, I collapsed, Keith was pumped up because he knew exactly what was at stake. Uh, the attendant that was at Keeneland and some other attendant walked over to me and she like put her hand on my shoulders as I'm slumped over. And she's like, it's okay. You can always stop betting. It, you'll you'll make it back from this bankruptcy essentially. And I came up and I was like, no, 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 I just need to see my wife. Yeah, because she was sitting off somewhere else. That was part of the routine. So oh my I, think, God. I think the most memorable moment was just the emotions at play when a sport that typically doesn't for betters, you know, we get excited, we hoot and holler, but uh, the gravity of the situation was just one that kind of helped secure my name as one of the top players in the game. It's fantastic stuff. We appreciate you, Drew. It was a great retelling. I hadn't heard that bit about the woman thinking you were crying because you were destitute. I'm glad. I like that little. I like that little detail. Well, it, it, even in the grade one gamble, um, same thing. Kind of, I had a TV that once they hit the the top of the stretch, I turned to go watch a different TV because that's what I did when first mission was dueling with Arabian Line. I was like, game over. I turned around and then kind of peeked up through a window and saw. Uh, on a TV that first mission was rallying up. So I kept doing that. And this attendant was helping me. And I, once it, I think it was $17,000 I'd wagered in the last race on grade one gamble. And I'm, I'm sprawled out on the floor. I'm just a, like, it's just mentally draining when you're playing at, at these values and, and at that concentration level. And so all of these rich people are f filtering out of what's the, what's the really fancy room uh, at, at Keeneland. Like the um, Phoenix room upstairs, the Lexington room, something like the, that. Yeah, the one where it's like gold plated and people are starting to funnel out. And I'm only on the ground for like 10 seconds, right? I'm being <laughs> a bit dramatic, I will admit it. And, and and she just politely, as if like an usher opening a door is like, step over him. He won a lot of money. He's okay. <laughs> and she, just, she just kept directing traffic. And right, I got up and I didn't make a scene or anything. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. But all these millionaires are walking out like, he just lost everything. She's like, nope, keep on money. Just keep going. Au contraire. Au contraire, mon frere. Drew, we're out of time. Appreciate you. And we'll have you back on uh, Horse Player Happy Hour very soon. Thank you. All right. That was super fun, too. Great hearing those stories. Start thinking about it um, when it comes to your own Breeders' Cup stories or great stories you've heard, friends, friends of friends, whatever, whatever. You know, we're not going to be able to get them all on there obviously but uh we'll we'll do we'll do what we can if you want to reach out to me at looms boldly or via the contact page over at in the money podcast.com that goes straight to my email um some other questions coming in another zandon question i like zandon with the cutback i mean it's a tall order and you know third might be the ceiling but i think it's uh i think it's interesting rob agrees with uh, the comments JK was making about Clarier, preferring Clarier in this configuration to Secret Oath. Uh, Trish wants to know about the Secretariat shirt. This comes from the JK collection, oldsmokeclothing.com slash JK. Now this one, I think, I don't think this one is for sale at this point. I could be wrong. Check it out. But I think this might be if you belong to the club where you get certain shirts exclusively for uh, club members. But it is super comfy and uh, I'm a a very, very big fan of it. Uh, what else do we have here from Jim? It's well documented about the deep, uh, big sandy surface and the track design is a challenge that some horses need to overcome. In your opinion, is the turf track design slash surface equally challenging? 
I mean, it's so hard to say, right? I mean, horses for courses is definitely a thing. And for some horses, I think they love it. I think they love the testing nature of it. And when stamina is your weapon, um, having a big one-turn sweeping configuration can be can be to your benefit. So, so I think it's hard to just say, oh, this track is harder than this track. You know, for a, for a horse whose stamina is their weapon, maybe a tight two-turn mammoth track, which is, you know, theoretically more glib is is more disadvantageous so it's a it's a hard question to answer you know um easily uh, but I'll, but i'll have to say i do think both things factor in I, I think both of those aspects the surface itself and the configuration do just tend to play a little bit more to horses with stamina but they're not it's not a I mean the horse with speed is out of it by any means that's still sort of the fundamental quote-unquote bias i don't use it in the term of track bias but the, the way dirt racing american racing is tilted is towards speed so i think it kind of comes out in the wash and belmont's you know one of my favorite tracks with that in mind jackson who does a great job writing for us over at in the money podcast.com puts forth the idea of a cold turf pick three chapier big invasion up to the mark. Well, Jackson, I'll be honest with you. I haven't done the hundred percent job on the Chez Pierre race yet. I know that last race was fantastic, obviously. And you know, I'm with you on a big invasion and up to the mark. I'm going to have a full write up of the Manhattan and the, uh, and as well as the Belmont stakes also over on at the races.com. If you want to read more about my thoughts in those and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send a tweet or DM you or something, Jackson, when I get a chance to look a little bit more at the, uh, at the, at the other race, which Shea Pierre competes in. Oh, Rob Capabo says that if you go to old slash JK, you can buy this shirt. There's also Breeders' Cup shirts on there. While we're talking merch, got to always mention the breederscup.com shop. There's so much good stuff on there. But I will say, as far as uh, Old Smoke goes, you can use the promo code MONEY for free shipping. I've been mistakenly giving that out as in the money. Sorry, it's money. Um, Steve Gilfeather asks about Hit Show, one of the horses I'm very interested in. I've also already bet for the Belmont. I do think the tough draw, Derby Day, being close to the pace, sticking on okay. This is a horse, another horse that has, to me, the classic look of a Belmont Stakes winner. If you just sort of looked at the PP cut and took the name away, this horse would look very, very good. Doesn't, doesn't look too different than uh, than Mo Donegal did last year, uh, really. Um, Soldier Rising, can he get over his issues? I just, I, minutes ago, did a write-up on... on uh, Soldier Rising. Oh, actually, no, he's the horse that I'm in the process of, of writing up right now. I think it's a big ask. You know, he's a cool horse. He's honest. He tries. I wouldn't talk you off at a big price, but not one that I am looking to key around. That's all the time we have, folks. Um, we want you to join us each and every week. We want you to encourage your friends. We're going to have so much fun this year. Lots of talk about all the win and your in races as we've done in the past. Uh, top-notch international coverage as well. I expect to see Vanessa Riles face on here. I expect to see Callum Hellowell. I expect to see Toshiona Kubo talking about the Japanese races. We're going to really have an absolute ton of fun. Let's thank our friends at the Breeders' Cup, especially Justin and Haley dealing with the stress, working with us, our friends at horseplayers.com and producer AJ for coming on here and uh, pushing all the right buttons on this Thursday afternoon. This show has been a joint production of the Breeders' Cup and in the money media, I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.